0: Want to thank uh, the laws for being with us and the us again. Uh, so good to see them. They uh, Joe has been such a huge help for our website and our ability to reach out into the community. And uh, it seems to be getting better all the time. We really, really appreciate his efforts, not only here but in many places. Uh, he's uh, improved a lot of websites for a lot of churches and. Uh, so many people these days make decisions. They shouldn't, but they just make decisions based on how something looks. And he's been a great help in the um, the kingdom. I know we're all looking forward to uh, the meeting with uh, Brother Kevin Hall coming up and hosting our gospel meeting. Um, as as uh, Mark made mention, let us, let us not forget the importance of inviting someone. I know I've taken a lot of... Um, Uh, encouragement from the Minneapolis picture that you sent and the story up there and how they're making a big impact with that congregation by inviting others. And that's that's what we should be looking at. Tonight, I want us to look at a question that seems to be so misunderstood. Now, when I say that, I, I would imagine the tendency for many of us is to think of the world. But this question confuses many, many Christians as well. And that is centered on the question, are we to judge or not to judge? So we're going to look and see what the Bible says. I appreciate Joseph reading the passage this evening. To many people, religious and non-religious alike, this is the quickest comeback that they have. Many cannot even quote another passage in the Bible, but so many can pull out Matthew 7, 1, and no less in the King James Version, That says, judge not that you be not judged. After this, some will continue as well. Well, you can't judge me because I know you have sinned in the past. This X, Y, or Z um, falling short that you did is going to be hung over your head. But the question we must evaluate is should a Christian avoid judging? There are many in the church and in the world that suggest To cast judgment is bad, sinful, and wrong. We should let people live their own lives. As we've seen coming to the forefront in so many issues in our culture and society today, of people trying to justify their ungodly behaviors, this is a serious question that we should consider. And I promise you, for anyone that follows our Facebook page, many will not read or listen to anything about this lesson. I hope there are some, but we will have quoted that we should not judge uh, in the comments pretty quickly, I would imagine. That's why we put some extra verses down there. Maybe someone would read a few, but you know you never know. For starters, we must recognize that God mentioned judging as a commandment and in condemnation. In addition to Matthew 7:1, Some you may have heard from time to time throughout James 4.12. And they don't quote the passage. We will look at it in more detail later. They just quote the last part of James 4.12. And it says, who are you to judge another? Some translations have it slightly differently and say, but who are you judging your neighbor? But a Bible student will also recognize that there are passages that discuss judging in a positive manner or something we should do. John 4, 24, clearly says, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Additionally, 1 Corinthians 11 and 31, For if we would judge ourselves, we would not Be judged. In just a quick reading of four specific scriptures, we see both concerns with judging and also commands. So clearly there is more to this topic. So, what is the Greek word translated judge? There are several, but the one translated the most as judge is krino. It occurs 114 times in the New Testament. It occurs as judge in our reading that Joseph did for us in Matthew 7, 1, but it occurs in a couple different forms in other passages. Matthew 5 and verse 40, to sue. Acts 3 and 13, as determined. Acts 21 and 25, as concluded. Acts 23 and verse 6, as to call into question. The common idea with this Greek word is deciding or is used in Matthew 40 as appealing to others for a decision. So similar to our lesson on alcohol not that long ago and the word wine, the word judge in basic terms is neutral in its character. It is the context that suggests either a positive or negative connotation. So let's go back and let's start in our passage and let's break down Matthew 7, 1 through 6. For our study this evening, we're going to break it down in three segments. 1 through 2 will be our first one. Then we will look at 3 through 5 and then we will look at verse 6. Matthew 7, 1 and 2 states, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with what measure you use, it will be measured Back to you. Clearly, the passage tells us not to judge others. But why? What is the warning? God is going to judge you the way you judge other people. That is, God is going to use the same standard of measure on you that you use to judge others. If we stop and think about this statement, we should all think about the warning do you want God to judge you the way you look at and judge other people? Think about that how that changes our approach with others. Let's look at James chapter 2 verses 12 through 13. James chapter 2 verses 12 through 13 states so speak and do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. If I asked for a raise of hands, and I'm not, I'm just asking that we consider the question. How many of us want God to judge us with mercy? I would venture to say every single one of us would, be, would want that. But do you show mercy in your judgment? Do I show mercy in my judgment? And how you approach others? Do you display fairness, compassion, kindness, and mercy? If we don't, we should. Matthew 7 continues in verses 3 through 5 and states the following. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite! First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus frames the point in verse 3 by asking a simple but important question Why are you looking? At a splinter, a small thing in someone else's eye, when you do not see the beam of wood in your own eye. We know exactly what Jesus is saying that it is easy for us to completely ignore the issues we have refused to address ourselves, but have no problem pointing out every little problem with someone else. Notice. What Jesus is to say about us when we do this in verse 5. He calls people that do this hypocrites. Let's break down this a little more. Jesus has three significant points I think we should consider in this section of the passage. First, we need to look at ourselves before we look at others. And this is where so many people fail. Instead of being honest and taking a real clear look in the mirror of the things we need to fix, it is so much easier to say, I know I have problems, but this problems are so, their problems are so much worse. Do we, put an, do we put to action an honest, purposeful, and intentional review of our own lives? 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5 has something to say about this. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5 says, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. We are to examine ourselves. Thayers defines this Greek word as to try Make trial or test. We are to test ourselves. Thayer's defines this Greek word to examine, prove, scrutinize. Does that describe how we look at ourselves? Or do we just look at the wake behind us and the issues that may seem to follow us and just say, it's coincidence, coincidence? or I'm just naturally inclined to be that way, or but every single one of those people were the difficult ones, not me. We need to be honest with ourselves and do exactly what Paul is pleading with the Corinthians to do. Examine and test, prove, scrutinize, make trial, look at ourselves first, before we go looking at others. If we're going to make a judgment, we have to first be honest with ourselves. Otherwise, we are nothing more than a hypocrite. And Job 27, 8 gives a clear warning to those that would be classified as a hypocrite. Job 27, 8 says, For what is the hope of the hypocrite, though he gain much if God takes away his life? Let us not be the hypocrite. Let us not be so focused on looking at the problems and issues of others that we do not see the enormous failures and or glaring shortcomings in our own lives. Let us not forget the warning of James chapter 1 verses 22 through 24. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Is that how we look at our shortcomings? We see them. We acknowledge them. We know them. But you know what? As soon as we turn, wow, that speck in someone else's eye completely takes our attention off of what we need to be working on. I found this quote from Brother Paul Earnhardt, who um, summarized the topics we just went through and, and the comments we've made. I thought he did a good job in succinctly putting it all together in a package. Our own accurate understanding of kingdom righteousness should not produce in us a spirit of harsh. Censorous judgment toward those who are having a struggle of it. Men need to be helped to see the nature of true righteousness, but not by an uncaring and self-righteous hypocrite who's more concerned with the sins of others than his own. If the sermon is first applied rigorously at home, we will easily find the com- compassion and humility to treat the sins of others. That's what Matthew 7 is telling each and every single one of us. Notice that last sentence. If the sermon is first applied rigorously at home with ourselves, we will easily find the compassion and humility to treat the sins of others. Let's go back to verse 5. It states, hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. There is still judgment to occur, but only, only after we see and correct our sins first. Then and only then are you able to approach someone in love, kindness and mercy to help another brother with their sin. Before we move on and look at a few other points on judging, I want us to go to verse 6. I've not heard verse 6 talked about much when I enter a discussion with others on the idea of judgment. But it is part of the context and it is connected to this idea that is under review by us this evening. Matthew 7, 6 states, Do not give what is holy to the dogs nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and tear you into pieces. How does this relate to what we are discussing? We just ended in verse 5 that we are to make a judgment and to try to help our brother remove a speck from their eye. But here we are told that some just are not going to receive the help. Even if, they do, even if we have done everything Jesus has told us and commanded us to do before we cast that judgment, this can be discouraging. Quite frankly, it can be heartbreaking. But God is telling us that there are those who will not listen, even when you approach them in kindness and gentleness. But we can't forget what Jesus is saying. Look at what they trampled on first. That which is holy and a pearl. In other words, of great value. They do that first. And then they turn and they attack you. This is not too dissimilar from what we read in Romans chapter 12, verse 20 through 21. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap. Coals of fire on his head do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Jesus is preparing us, informing us that there are going to be people, even when we follow God's plan, they're going to refuse the help. And sometimes we just have to move on. As we conclude our review of Matthew 7, I want to take a second and let's remember all the things we just discussed and highlighted, that if we are in a position that judgment is needed to be had and conversations need to occur, how God, how Jesus instructed us to go about this. It's not the way we often do it. Because when we see the speck, we finally grow courage. We finally forget all of us, all the, the things about us. But we cannot forget what Jesus has instructed. First, examine if you would want to be judged the way you're about to judge. It's kind of like that whole adage, slow to speak, slow to wrath, quick to what? Listen, if we just stopped, how many issues that we've created by just blurting out something, would have been avoided. That is what's being asked to be done here. If you stop to think about, do I want someone to judge me the way I'm about to judge? Maybe I would do this a lot differently. Next, we need to remind ourselves that God will use the same standard of judgment against us that we are about to use against someone else. As we just mentioned, it should cause us to be a lot slower to make that judgment. And two, we should be more merciful and compassionate in our judging because as we've already laid the foundation, every single one of us would and desires compassionate and merciful judgment on us by God. We must look at ourselves and analyze if we're being A hypocrite. Then we must evaluate if we're looking at other people's sins and faults, but unwilling to see and address our own. And lastly, in our preparation, we must ask ourselves if we are coming to help someone or are we coming to punish them? And after all this is completed, we must realize that there are going to be those who will attack you For offering help. But if we've done it the way Jesus has asked us to do, that's not on us. John 15, 20 reminds us that how they treated Jesus, they crucified. Jesus followed all of these protocols every time he cast judgment, he was perfect. They still crucified him for trying to let them know who he was. John 15, 20, remember the word I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So with this foundation of a very misapplied and misunderstood passage, I think it would be good for us to look at a few more passages that provide additional guidance in how we are to judge. And so the first one I'd like us to look at is to judge by God's law. Let's turn over to James chapter 4. We're going to look at two passages of James. First, James 4. And then we're going to look at what I believe to be an application of the principle here back in James chapter 2. So we're going to start with James chapter 4. We'll start in verse 11. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? That's that little snippet verse we looked at at the beginning. Who are you to judge another? As referenced at the beginning, most people will just quote that last piece and move on. We can't judge, but this is not what James is saying, if we look at the whole context. James is saying, when we condemn where God's word is silent, we are implying that God's word is imperfect. The solution to this issue is very important. It's one we cannot forget. To avoid this problem, we must confine ourselves to scriptures and only to the scriptures. When we repeat what is in the scriptures, in the context that the lawgiver and the judge has said we are on a firm foundation and we will not be guilty of what James is referencing. As I said, let's look at James 2 because I think that helps us in the application of what was, happen- or what was explained in James chapter 4. And this is to judge impartially. James chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, Evil thoughts? In many ways, as we've said, this is what is happening and explained more in James chapter 4. The host here is distinguishing, judging who should have the better treatment based on superficial things. Wealth, clothing, their accessories. So does the Bible say anything about this as an instruction on how to treat people? No, it's superficial. The host is making a decision on his opinion, not the word of God. And how does God refer to him? As one who judges with evil thoughts. Many Christians have gotten themselves in trouble with this principle. Have you seen people make judgments on people's wealth or successes in corporate America? On who they want to hang out with and be close with? Hey, they've got the fancy car, the nice house. Maybe if I I hang out with them, I may get asked to go to the golf course or get to go on a fancy boat or maybe a trip. Have we not seen it when the selection of elders comes about and, oh, well, he's a successful businessman, but the man that would be the shepherd of a flock and smell like his sheep is overlooked. Holding up an opinion... Because it's from this preacher or this scholar or, wait, 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 no, I don't agree with that. My preacher over here is the one. He has the training. Or, well, I studied under the feet of. This was my mentor. I went to this school. The Bible clearly says in God's church in his kingdom all souls are equal. We must judge with impartiality. Galatians chapter 3:27 through 29, it's a passage we're all familiar with. For as many as you were baptized in Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Thirdly, we judge by actions and fruits. Matthew chapter seven, verses fifteen through twenty. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. The fruits we and others produce show us and others the status of our hearts. We've often heard the saying about family, friends, etc., but they're good people, sincere people regarding this error or that error. God has clearly stated it. Good fruit comes from good trees and bad fruit comes from from bad trees. Let's look at two principles that put this into action. First, by John, as he's evaluating the Pharisees coming to him. Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 9 states, Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the ax is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Furthermore, Jesus references this term in Matthew chapter. Twelve, verse 33 through 35. We read, "...either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasures of his heart brings forth good things." And an evil man out of the evil treasures bring forth evil things. We learn an important lesson. We judge by actions and fruits. Jesus did it. John did it. And we have the authority to do it as well. Next, we're to judge righteously. John chapter 7, verses 22 through 24. John seven twenty two through 24 reads, Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but the father's, as you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. As it states, the context here is the Pharisees are attacking Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. Was it a sin to heal on the Sabbath? The law says nothing about healing on the Sabbath. The Pharisees were describing this as a work, but was it? Jesus points them to the action of circumcision. It was commanded to be done on the eighth day, regardless if it was the Sabbath or not. Clearly, this was not a work. And Jesus reminds them and us, we are to make righteous judgments, not unrighteous. And that means we must be careful and consider all the scriptural evidence before making our judgment. Not just one verse that we've taken out of context to apply that suits our needs. That's what the Pharisees are guilty of here. The law had no commandment about healing or not healing on the Sabbath. But you could easily, by being a student of Scripture, look at the circumcision. That wasn't a work. Did it, the law say you could or could not circumcise on the Sabbath? No. It was the eighth day, regardless. Recently, we dealt with COVID, and a lot of Christians made judgments without weighing all the scriptural evidence. Instead, many use compromises of poor judgment that they've made in their past to make their decision. We must always use, as God has warned us, righteous judgment. And lastly, we could use Matthew 7, 1 through 6 to define that we're to judge without hypocrisy. We've already gone through those six verses. There's no reason to recast that, but it's important for us to remember that when we go to judge that we need to judge by God's law impartially by actions and fruits righteously and without hypocrisy we must also carefully and meticulously follow the teachings of Matthew chapter 7 we must question that do we want to be judged the way we're about to judge? We must remember that God will use the same standard of judgment against us. We must need to seriously consider, are we being a hypocrite? Are we willing to see and address our own faults and sins before we go to someone else? And are we coming in the Spirit to help the other person? And as God warned, We must be prepared that they will attack and not listen. As we conclude, we see a Christian must judge. But God has clearly outlined the right way to cast judgment and the wrong way. My hope is that our lesson this evening will help us follow God's commandments more accurately. So that when we are faced with the situation, we will not be found as a hypocrite, making unrighteous judgments... And may I also protest, may we not be considered the dog or the swine when someone comes to us and trample on the good message, the valuable lesson that has been brought. If you have any needs, please come forward as we stand and sing the invitation song.